The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. How well do you know your cavalry leaders of the Confederate Army of Northern Virginia? Everyone knows Jeb Stewart and his successor, Wade Hampton. Then there's Fitz Lee and Rooney Lee, names you recognize. And then people like Tom Rosser or John Chambliss that aren't as familiar to everyone. Tonight, we'll go a step deeper to learn about one of the last cavalry brigade commanders of that army, a man portrayed in the book Fighting for General Lee. Confederate General Rufus Berenger and the North Carolina Cavalry Brigade. We'll learn about him from author Sheridan R. Berenger tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you from our usual place, the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University here in Greenville, North Carolina, but not representing the university or its board of trustees or any other organization, just ourselves, just myself, and our guest likewise will speak only for himself, as we always do. Not speaking for the University of North Carolina system, which uh, all of us, even those who are not part of the uh, the flagship school in Chapel Hill are reeling nonetheless from the 
uh, impressive but painful defeat last Monday night in the NCAA basketball championship, losing on a last-second shot, uh, one of the better basketball games perhaps ever played, but uh, but a sad defeat. Uh, BCU not involved in that sort of thing. We did have a golf tournament, uh, which took place right behind the Civil War Talk Radio Annex headquarters, my home on Oxford Road, which is near the Brook Valley Country Club golf course, and got to see some of the pirate players uh, walking up and down as I was getting ready to leave for work yesterday, playing early in the morning, and I believe we won that tournament, which is good. Not so good as we had a network crash here on campus today. It's not over yet. I have no access to any of the email I've written or received over the last seven years temporarily. I'm counting on that coming back, likewise counting on all my uh, files, all my everything, every document I've saved in the last several years is suddenly inaccessible. And it, it's a little bit distressing. I'm confident the, the wizards will figure out how to fix it, but we'll see. In teaching news, it's getting near uh, near exam time. We just had a midterm exam in the, the 1000 level, the beginner level U.S. history course. It is always interesting to teach young people about American history of the recent variety. And re- by recent, I mean recent in geological time. When I talk about things from my own youth in the 1960s or 70s to the students, this might as well involve the woolly mammoth and uh, uh, cave bear and so on. It, it, it's all old to them. One of my colleagues I was in, in a class observing this week was telling a story about something that happened to him when he was in school in the 70s, and he let drop the phrase relatively recently, and the students, I don't know how they, I didn't look to see if they were rolling their eyes, but if someone had, professor had said relatively recently about an event 46 years ago when I was in college, that would mean the Roaring Twenties, which I didn't think of as relatively recent uh, uh, at any time in my life. So I guess it's all relative. It depends. Uh, we're going back to the 1860s today, and that's old uh, for all of us. Uh, the well, well, we'll talk about what we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, but I'll let you know what's coming up next on the show. Uh, next week, April 13th, we'll have the return of an old friend of the show, Eric J. Wittenberg, who has written approximately 700 books on the Civil War. Not quite that many, not as many as, say, uh, Jack Davis, but, but a fair number. The one we'll discuss next week, The Devils to Pay, John Buford at Gettysburg, A History and Walking Tour. Very much look forward to that. The following week, a unusual story, Junius and Albert's Adventures in the Confederacy, A Civil War Odyssey by Peter Carlson. Uh, an interesting uh, book recommended by a listener, and I'm anxious to talk about that. And then on April 27th, Stephen Town from IUPUI, Indiana University, Purdue University at Indianapolis. I just like to say the acronym. Uh, Stephen Town will be with us. He's the author of Surveillance and Spies in the Civil War, Exposing Confederate Conspiracies in America's Heartland. So we'll find out what was going on in the heartland. Then on May 4th, uh, no live show. It's final exam week, and I will be busy grading the final exams of our students. I've found out uh, 
that the following night, which normally would be also kind degrading before the end of the semester, uh, my wife and I were just invited to join the chancellor for dinner with the this year's graduation speaker. And after eight years of being department chair, when I had to attend every graduation, I was really looking forward to skipping it this spring because typically we get eh, someone you'd never heard of to be the graduation speaker. This year they got Rick Atkinson, a Pulitzer Prize winner. Many of you have read uh, some or all of his Liberation Trilogy about the U.S. Army in World War II or the Long Gray Line. Uh, He is an East Carolina graduate and I'm just, and I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say and and to uh, uh, to meeting him at the chancellor's uh, uh, before the the ceremony. So it looks like I'm going to one more of those events uh, after thinking I they I'd just gotten out of it, but this time it'll be for a worthwhile reason. So that's what's coming up. No show on May 4th. Uh, we'll be back in action May 11th, May 18th with uh, guests to be announced. And then it'll be time for This Hallowed Ground, the annual tour put on by Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours, May 21 to 29. Uh, Some listeners to the show have signed up for it. I'm looking forward, hopefully, to a few more, if you can spare the time uh, and the money. That is, if you're wealthy and retired or just feel like borrowing your grandchildren's inheritance or whatever you want to do, come on and join us. Look up Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours on the web sign up for the trip. We'll see a lot of interesting sites. It'll be fun. And to read about those sites, don't forget, go to the Civil War Talk Radio Auxiliary site, www.impedimentsofwar.org. You can donate uh, to the show by clicking the PayPal button there. You can buy books that you hear about on the show by clicking on them there. It'll take you to Amazon, and we get some click-through for that, uh, which helps pay the costs of maintaining that website. Donations to the show are not tax deductible. I cannot state that enough. It's getting on tax time, and I don't want any of you going to jail on my account. I would would certainly feel bad about that, so don't deduct anything you give here. Uh, Don't let that stint your generosity. Just remember not to deduct it. Well, tonight we're talking about a North Carolina Civil War figure who does not make all the history books, but who had a fascinating life, not just during the Civil War, but before and especially afterward. And we'll learn about him from Sheridan R. Berenger, who goes by the uh, nickname Butch. We'll find out where the Sheridan came from in just a minute. He's the author of Fighting for General Lee, Confederate General Rufus Berenger, and the North Carolina Cavalry Brigade. Uh, Mr. Berenger, are you there? Yes, hi, Dr. Provogovich. May I call uh, you call, Jerry, so I won't stumble please, on that. <laughs> please call me Jerry. And and you go by okay. Butch, is that right? Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, my father, uh, my mother wanted to name me Sheridan after my father. My father said, okay, but I'm calling him Butch, and that's where that came from. So well, that works. That works. Sheridan's not uh, a name you hear every day. Where where did that come from? Well, I was told by my mother that I was named after a, <clears throat> a Civil War general. And, of course, upon studying the Civil War a little bit, I found out there was no Confederate general named Sheridan. There was that nasty Phil Sheridan. And apparently... If this story is true, I was my father was named after Phil Sheridan, which leads into another story 
which I'm not sure we want to get into tonight, but it's hard hard to conceive of a Southerner like me being named, or my father being named after Phil Sheridan. But it, it's a, uh, an interesting story, not certain if it's true. Well, that, that uh, as, as on a web historical podcast like this, we'll, we'll save it then because we like to keep things as accurate as we can. Uh, By the way, I wanted to mention that uh, yes. a uh, friend of yours, before we leave the uh, uh, sports subject altogether, a mm-hmm. friend of yours who is a diehard Michigan f- sports fan, and I believe was on the panel of your Ph.D. committee, urged me to uh, say hello. He's a Facebook friend of mine. You know who I'm, uh, I'm speaking I, of? I, I, all my friends are diehard Michigan fans, so I'm not sure yet. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll say Tom Nanzig. Oh, excellent! Yes, um, yeah, yeah. good. Good to hear from Tom. I, he has been on the show. He, he's written books about uh, Michigan, uh, uh, Michigan soldiers uh, in the Civil War, and, and uh, always good to hear hear from him. Well, I've, I'm learning to be a Tar Heel fan uh, because my daughter goes there, and uh, <laughs> I really wanted her to have the chance to experience a national title last Monday mm-hmm. night and swarm out onto Franklin Street, which they did on Saturday night after the semifinals, so she got that, mm-hmm. got to enjoy that. Um, they were going to do that anyway. <laughs> they, they, were, they were pretty much bound to do that, that's right. So um, so, so, tell me a bit about your roots then. You're, you're from, uh, from, from the south. From Ham- Hampton, Virginia. My family's from down in Concord, which is uh, Rufus Barringer country. And um, my father moved up here in 1943 to work for NACA at, at Hampton, Virginia. I was uh, born up here, and I now live in Newport News, which is its town right adjacent to Hampton. I've lived here uh, all my life except for my years at Virginia Tech and college. And uh, this, this is my first book, by the way, and it's a project that lasted well over 20 years. And I've wow. since written two two other books, which have not been published yet. Well, I'll be curious to hear more about those if if we have time at the end. But I'm, twenty years is, is suggests that this is a labor of love, uh, not your day job. Then that's right. It was a labor of love, and it was an on and off job. And uh, I spent a few years looking for a publisher, and I'm certainly glad I ended up with who I ended up with, Savas Beatty. Well, they do a good job. They they do publish a lot of books by uh, people who are not uh, necessarily full-time writers or academics, but who have a, a passion and a commitment to Civil War history. And this is, uh, that I've said, and listeners to the show will be familiar with this, that we often, a lot of the people who appear on the show are not professional historians. Uh, I am not infrequently contacted by people who say, I've written a book, uh, what can I be on the show? Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'm always happy to look at the book, but, you know, they're not always, there's a reason why training makes you better at what you do in most fields, and it's true in history mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but this book, uh, I'll tell the listeners and you as well, really tells an interesting story, effectively, uh, thoroughly researched, and uh, fills in a gap that uh, that was that needed to be filled. Uh, so Thank it, you. It's it, is, def- it is sort of my full-time job. Now, I am retired, <laughs> so you what, might say it's What are you retired job. from? 
I'm, I work at NASA, mainly Research Center in Hampton, Virginia, as an engineer and project manager for 37 years. So the title of the book, uh, the, the subject of the book is Rufus Berenger, and that's your name. So the obvious question comes up, uh, are you related to the general? Uh, I am a first cousin, I think five times removed, something like that. So, so was this a, a, a story, though, growing up in your house that, that you had a civil no, war ancestor? No, it wasn't really. Uh, it got started, really, when I uh, got into genealogy for a number of years and wanted to research my uh, great-grandfather, whose name was also Rufus Berenger. And I started studying him in the, the Berengers of North Carolina, all the Berenger lines, and ran a, kept, kept running across this General Rufus Berenger. And so I started collecting, got some folders, and started collecting information on him. And the more I collected, the, the, the more interested I got. And then I had the good fortune to meet his one of his grandsons about 20 years ago who lived in Rocky Mount. And he was looking for somebody to write a, a book of, of his uh, uh, grandfather. And uh, we started going on some Civil War tours together, became very close. And eventually uh, we agreed that, yeah, I, I should take, take up the task. So how did you go about reading? How did you go about researching this topic? Well, in those days, uh, you didn't have a uh, a lot on the internet yet, as you do now, and so I would travel down to UNC or to uh, the National Ar- uh, the Raleigh Archives or down to Concord and Charlotte, all around, uh, getting into their uh, uh, repositories and, and looking up stuff and making copies and. And it did it uh, that way for a number of years. And, of course, eventually the Internet started getting more and more uh, information on it. And I was able to glean some from the Internet also towards the end. Uh, but it was uh, a lot of traveling involved and a lot of well, letter that, writing. I must have written tons of letters. And you found people who had useful information that way? Oh, yes. I ran into... Uh, other uh, descendants, uh, great-grandsons who had some things, in addition to the grandson, and then some other re- descendants who had some more stuff, and just it started snowballing. And uh, and then I, I s- continued to research and found things that none of them knew about, which I, I really liked. I liked studying the man, uh, not getting so wrapped up in the minutiae of the battles, but studying the man and try to figure out what makes the man tick? What makes him do the things he he does and turn out the way he does? That that's what really interests me. So that that is a really interesting question. And absolutely, it's a key question. And we'll ask that question when we return. We're going to take a short break. We're talking today with Butch Berenger, author of Fighting for General Lee, Confederate General Rufus Berenger in the North Carolina Cavalry Brigade. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Sheridan Butch Berenger, author of Fighting for General Lee, Confederate General Rufus Berenger, and the North Carolina Cavalry Brigade. Well, Rufus Berenger is not the most well-known figure in uh, the history of the Army of Northern Virginia. Uh, He serves as a cavalry officer through the war, eventually commands a brigade. But as we were saying at the end of the section, uh, what makes him interesting is is who this guy was. And uh, even well before the war, he set an independent path among uh, among his peers. Can you talk a little bit about uh, where he came from, uh, what what he was, what he did, his politics, and so on? Well, he was a uh, progressive man even before the war. He served in the North Carolina House of Commons and the state senate during the late 40s and and early 50s and he was uh, interested in waking up old man rip van winkle as he called north carolina and 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 waking him up and and let's get going he was interested in getting railroads to the west of raleigh so commerce commerce would follow uh, and the western part of the state would benefit economically and so he pushed for that, and he pushed for judicial reforms. The uh, cases were taking way too long to uh, be, be the, resolved in the court system, and he pushed for civil rights even. He, he was for uh, what they call free suffrage, which in those days didn't mean, hey, you get to vote uh, uh, for blacks, but it meant... Um, the North Carolinians voted for governor, and they voted for the people of the House of Commons, but they were not allowed to vote for their senators unless they owned at least 50 acres of land. And so he was one of the fighters to try to get rid of that. He was a Whig, uh, as it 
developed into a party, and uh, he fought for other uh, progressive measures uh, while he was in the uh, legislature, and, and the re- his whole life, really. And, and that was a time uh, when there was real conflict between the eastern and western parts of North Carolina over political power, so, uh, which is not entirely disappeared today, certainly, but, but in different ways. Now, he, uh, one of the things that, that I find fascinating about the Civil War era is how much smaller the country was so that uh, everybody knows everybody at a certain level of, of social and political uh, uh, rank. And here you have uh, Rufus Berenger gets married, and it turns out his wife has two sisters, and they end up getting married as well. So uh, talk about his, his in-laws, if you would. Yes, he uh, when he did, he married Eugenia Morrison in 1853, uh, was the daughter of Ralph uh, Robert Hall Morrison, uh, the founder of Davidson College. And he had um, quite a few daughters, and one of those, Isabella, married uh, D.H. Hill, and another one, married Anna, married Stonewall Jackson, was his second wife. So there were three sisters who married uh, future Confederate generals. And uh, Eugenia, his first wife's uncle, was William A. Graham, who was the governor of the uh, state of North Carolina and secretary of war under the pres- on one of the presidents and held all sorts of power and office- offices in North Carolina and uh, was mentioned as a possible member of the of a pres- of presidential cabinet uh in the, in the election of 1860, but that didn't come to, to pass, of course. But, uh, no, the, the, the Morrison family uh, was very influential. He uh, resigned from Davidson because of health and, and became a, a very prominent Presbyterian minister in the area. And uh, he, in fact, officiated at uh, Rufus Barringer's second uh, wedding, uh, after his first wife died in 1858. But uh, he couldn't marry his daughters himself. He was just far too nervous to do it, so he would have to get somebody else to do that. Wow. Well, that, that's... Uh, so So Barringer's connected to all these people that, uh, that we've all heard of, D.H. Hill and Stonewall Jackson. And yet, at the same time that he's rising in the ranks, serving in the state legislature, uh, practicing law, doing, uh, you know, making himself known and, and championing causes, he also, uh, you write, and this is not in the public record, but, but you've discovered this, he also had children with another woman who was not his wife, uh, but who was a, an enslaved woman. Yes, this was before he married, uh, about mm-hmm. six to eight years before he married, he had a liaison with a neighbor's uh, uh, slave and that produced two uh, African-American boys, and one of them, Warren Clay Coleman, they, uh, went on to become one of the wealthiest uh, citizens of North, blacks of North Carolina and most influential blacks in the South. Uh, and the Coleman Cotton... Cotton Mill, who was started in uh, by him in Concord, and uh, it was just recently, I understand, named a National Historic Landmark. So, uh, 
history continues. Yeah. So, so he's got uh, he's connected to multiple worlds to to the world of slavery, literally through his, his children, through uh, the world of power, through his practice, through the world of, of people like D. H. L. Stonewall Jackson, through his in laws. When the war begins, or when when secession threatens, he was initially not in favor of of going to war. Is that correct? That's right, along with a lot of others. Uh, he was against secession. He was a unionist. But uh, at the point where his brother, older brother Moreau Berenger, went to the uh, Washington Peace Conference in February and uh, kept Rufus advised what was going on, but when that failed, he then knew that war was coming. and. And after Lincoln's call for 75,000 troops to put down the rebellion, he, he, he knew it was over, and he quickly uh, urged the state to prepare itself for war. And he and his brother Victor uh, signed up on April 19, 1861, and, and Rufus formed a company, Company F uh, of cavalry, which eventually became part of the 1st North Carolina under... Uh, Colonel Robert Ransom, a West Pointer. Now, you mentioned uh, his brother Moreau. Just a, a quick aside there. Moreau Berenger uh, actually served in the United States Congress at one point. Is, is that correct? Yes, he served in the United States Congress. And interestingly enough, uh, he shared a desk with Abraham Lincoln in Lincoln's only term in Congress. And they uh, became great chums, as uh, Lincoln uh, termed it. And... Uh, uh, that would come up later after the war in a meeting that Rufus Barringer had with President Lincoln after he was captured on April 3rd, 1865. So, so again, it's a small world, and everybody knows everybody, and it, that turns mm-hmm. out to be a big, big help. Mm-hmm. So there, there. now we're up to 1861. We've got uh, Rufus Barringer organizing a cavalry company, uh, serving in the 1st North Carolina Regiment uh, under uh, Robert Ransom. And that was not unusual in the early days and throughout the war, really, for the units would be officered by somebody who'd been to West Point. But West Pointers didn't always see eye to eye with the volunteer troops. Uh, was that true in, in Ransom's that regiment? Certainly was true here. Uh, of course, Rufus Barringer had no military training at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was well, he was a well organized individual, disciplined, and uh, known for his organizational skills. And uh, and yes, Robert Ransom was not popular among the men. He was Ransom was tough on them. He really trained them hard, and when it came to the shooting, they were glad he was their commander because he would uh, make the right calls. You have a story in there about uh, uh, about Beringer's umbrella. Could you share that? Yeah, yeah. Um, somewhere up when they were moving up towards Manassas, this is after the Battle of First Manassas. They didn't. They weren't in up in Virginia by then, but as they were going to Manassas in maybe October of 61, uh, they were moving out of camp, and Colonel Ransom and his staff officers were sitting on their horses watching the troopers go by, and he spotted a, an umbrella on Barringer's uh, 
horse, strapped to the horse, that Beringer's uh, manservant, a man, a, a boy named, a slave of Beringer's named Alfred Beringer, 14 years old, who served with Beringer for two years. Anyway, the Ransom noticed this umbrella, and he, he would yell out, Sir, what is that on your horse? And Beringer <laughs> replied, That's my silk umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> and Ransom was replied in expletive deleted that uh, we don't go to war with umbrellas, sir. Throw that away, please, now. <laughs> so. That's the picture of 1861, an officer with an umbrella strapped to his saddle to uh, keep those harsh rays of the sun or those those raindrops off while you charge into yeah. battle. Uh, <laughs> Now, the 1st North Carolina Regiment, Cavalry Regiment, did not see uh, action, you pointed out, at 1st Manassas. Uh, when did they finally, uh, what, what was their first engagement? Uh, they had a fight up at Vienna in November, I think it was November 26, 61, uh, Vienna outside Richmond, and uh, in which they uh, vanquished the 3rd Pennsylvania Cavalry. And uh, the 3rd wasn't too happy about that. And they were, uh, their commanding officer really chewed them out. But they would get their revenge later uh, and, and recall that battle uh, as, as, you know, this is a revenge for Vienna. So there, so th- there are skirmishes then with initial, uh, you know, with federal troops, with cavalry. Uh, they're not deeply involved. Uh, as, as I'm recalling the story, they're they're near you know, in the fringes yeah, of the were, army during actually the, they were the held in reserve and joined the chase once mm-hmm. they uh, chased the third Pennsylvania off. So, but they ran on the chase part of that fight. So they end up um, they they will eventually get engaged much more heavily. 1863. But you tell a story that I found very interesting about a conversation that Beringer has with Stonewall Jackson, uh, who, of course, he knows oh, as yes. his brother-in-law. Uh, yes. And tell us about that. Um, this is uh, after after the Peninsula Campaign in which McClellan was uh, dismissed and uh, General Pope was put in charge of the Army. When Pope came from the West and said... Uh, well, I'm going to make short short work of these uh, Confederates. He was boastful and liked to tell stories, and and he set up some rather harsh principles where to run his campaign. He was going to be caught anybody uh, collaborating even with the Confederates. He was going to string them up and hang them without trial and other r- rough measures. Take anything you want from these farmers, uh, stuff like that, and and the South. Southern leaders didn't like that, of course, and Stonewall was furious about it. He wanted to institute a policy of no quarter to the enemy, or what was termed black flag policy. So uh, one of the things he did was he summoned his brother-in-law, Captain Barringer, who was down on the Chickahominy River, uh, uh, and he sent a note through Stewart to have Barringer join him as Stonewall was getting ready to leave Richmond and head back to the valley. So Beringer came up and spent the night with him. They had a nice dinner and reminisced. And and uh, Stonewall started talking about, you know, we've got to institute this black flag policy. 
uh, I think I've almost got General Lee convinced. Uh, uh, but we're going to take it to the north, and I'm going to I'm going to develop some light movable columns with some light artillery and some cavalry and some fast moving foot soldiers, and we're going to strike north and strike fear into the uh, citizens of the north, so they will know uh, what war is all about. And so they continued to talk, and Barringer asked Jackson why had he called for him. And Baring, uh, Jackson told him, well, if this, this plan goes through, which it didn't, by the way, of course, and uh, I would want you as my quartermaster general. And Barringer was uh, taken back, and he had no experience in that area. And he uh, told Jackson that he had pledged to his first North Carolina troops, uh, Cap- uh, Captain Company F, that he was going to stay with them through the war. And Jackson, of course, told him, well, you can make no such promise. If this plan comes about, you're coming with me. And that was uh, virtually the end of that conversation. Wow. So so Jackson, uh, he his plans were for to do uh, what Sherman did in Georgia, he was prepared to yes. do in Pennsylvania. That's uh, right. Uh, Philadelphia. Had he gotten the, well, if he'd gotten the opportunity. Uh, yes. He, he didn't, of course, and uh, was, was killed at Chancellorsville and mortally wounded at Chancellorsville. And the 1st North Carolina did not participate there or at uh, Gettysburg. But they're in the Gettysburg campaign. And yeah. at uh, uh, listeners are familiar, I'm sure, with the, the Battle of Brandy Station, the great cavalry battle of, of the Eastern Theater in the Civil War. Uh, I admit I sort of cringed reading the description of the wound suffered by General Barringer at Brandy Station. So uh, did I. <laughs> it, it, uh, uh, we've only got 30 seconds. I'll leave our listeners. I don't want to make them guess about it. But it sounds like he was shot uh, in the the back of the upper jaw and the bullet knocked his front yes. teeth out coming outward uh, yeah that sounds awfully and painful. also broke his superior maxilla and so he was out of action for five weeks in miss gettysburg uh and, and didn't re- sounds like yes a horrible one that must have affected him the rest of his life to, to in terms of speech did. and everything else yes so uh, not they, were, they were still t- taking pieces of bullet out of his tongue a year later so uh it was a bad wound. You know, we, we tend to romanticize sometimes reading about the Civil War and the, the glory, and, and uh, one can imagine perhaps an instantaneous death on the battlefield uh, as not being the worst possible fate for a human being, but the actual <laughs> violence these bullets can do to a human body is, is, is frightening and, and Certainly, that that was his experience. Especially, um, but he returns. Uh, okay. Go ahead. I, I would say, especially the caliber bullets those sharpshooters were shooting. Yeah, sure. That 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 would just do enormous damage. Well, we're going to take another short break. We'll come back and find out uh, about the return of Rufus Barringer to the army after his wound in 1864. We're learning about this from Butch Barringer. He's the author of Fighting for General Lee, Confederate General Rufus Barringer, and the North Carolina Cavalry Brigade. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, 
VoiceAmerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Sheridan R. Butch Berenger, author of Fighting for General Lee, Confederate General Rufus Berenger, and the North Carolina Cavalry Brigade. Uh, General Berenger fought and was wounded at the Battle of Brandy Station in June 1863, returned to uh, resume his role in the 1st North Carolina Cavalry, was uh, eventually promoted uh, during the Bristow Station campaign, uh, late 1863, and uh, goes on to serve in both in that campaign and in the uh, Petersburg campaign. 1864. So, uh, Butch, and any other military highlights in, in General Berenger's career in the last uh, major campaigns of the war? Well, it's interesting. When, he, when General Gordon was killed on uh, May 12th, uh, day after Stuart was killed, that then the, the North Carolina Cavalry Brigade needed a new leader. And there were like four senior colonels over Beringer, and he was promoted over all of them, causing one of them to resign. One of them had been wounded, one more would be captured before the end of the month, and one more would be killed before the end of the month. So, uh, mm. And I think William A. Graham had something to do with that. Uh, uh, but anyway, he was promoted uh, to command the brigade on June 4th, 1864, and he was... Uh, very, uh, he made an outstanding contribution at Second Ream Station on August 25th, uh, 1864, where his his troopers broke made a daring breakthrough that helped seal the victory for the Confederates uh, at Ream Station, a important victory. Um, trying to think Did of they, anything else. Well, they took part in the the, the beefsteak raid. Oh yeah, they they did go on the. 
infamous beefsteak raid in September 14th uh, through, I think, 16th it was, with uh, uh, up in up near Cargan's uh, point, near City Point, where the Federals had about 25,000, 3,000 head of nice fat cattle uh, stationed and lightly guarded. It was near a church called Sycamore Church, and then the Confederates at this point of the war sure could use some of that beef. And so they put together a raid uh, approved by Robert E. Lee and set off uh, with a, about uh, 1,800 cavalrymen, I think it was. And uh, they brought back 2,500 and some head of cattle that fed Lee's army for at least a month. Uh, it's an important raid, so that was good. They they go into winter quarters then in the winter of 1864, and of course by this time Lee's army is stretched out uh, around Petersburg, guarding the Weldon Railroad, uh, being stretched ever thinner by Grant's army as, as creeping around its right flank. The you describe the the winter quarters. They're short of everything, but they, they manage to make do, and they even have the occasional celebration. I've, I've described to my students uh, when I'm talking about Colonial Virginia in, in some classes the uh, activity called a gander pole, and students don't know what that is. And then when I tell them about it, they cringe. they don't like it. They cringe. Uh, but, but they had a gander pole at the brigade uh, headquarters. Uh, yeah, they had a which, couple of those in which uh – they would find a uh, a nice uh, goose and lather him up with soap, and uh, the men they would uh, ride by and try to snatch his head off. And uh, sometimes the goose w- would win, other times he would lose. And they had uh, at least two of those I remember during that winter uh, uh, quarters uh, of eighteen sixty four sixty five. And it's people were going for miles around to watch. Watch, you know, it's a big, big celebration, big party. It's, I, I guess, in a society that watches, uh, you know, that the, uh, the the fighting they do, the the unlimited uh, fighting in those cages, uh, instead of boxing mm-hmm. or wrestling, where they they beat each other bloody with everything. Uh, I, I guess we can't complain if they conducted a gander pull or two in 1865, but. Uh, <laughs> The war continues, uh, and uh, it, the the Carolina Brigade is called on to serve as a rear guard as Lee's army finally retreats from the Petersburg trenches, uh, and that's where uh, you mentioned earlier in the show that, that General Berenger was captured. Uh, how did that come about? How did how did uh, how did he fall uh, into Union well, hands? After the defeat at Five Forks, uh, Beringer knew it was over, and, and like you say, the retreat uh, west began. Uh, they were cut off from going south to join Joe Johnson. Grant was after him, and uh, Phil Sheridan was after him. And so they ended up at a place called Namazine Church, which is in Amelia County, uh, on April 3rd, and Beringer... That church was built in like 1848, I think, and Beringer and, and uh, used it as a headquarters in the in the morning. But by afternoon, uh, Phil Sheridan was around, and uh, the, the Confederates were just overwhelmed. Uh, 
and there are very vivid descriptions in the in the book and elsewhere of the the Union just seemed like all these specks on the horizon, but they kept coming and coming and coming. And, and soon it was, uh, everybody was either captured or running, and Beringer was, uh, lead, led some of his soldiers through the woods to safety. They lost their horses. but And then he was in the woods, and some uh, uh, federal troops were out uh, dressed in Confederate uniforms, which was a hanging offense, by the way, and but they were around trying to capture officers, and they uh, came upon Barringer and uh, said they were looking for the Ninth Virginia Cavalry or whatever to join them, rejoin them. And uh, as soon as they got Barringer uh, relaxed and and Barringer staff uh, relaxed, they they pulled the guns on them and they had them. So that so, night, they took them to Sheridan's headquarters at Mary Cousins' house. Mary Cousins actually owned the 25 acres, which included the Five Horse Center section, by the way. But they slept on the. They were treated very nicely by uh, Sheridan because he had just won that fantastic battle on the two days earlier at Five Forks, and so they, he was very amiable and fed them. They slept on the floor that night, and he fed them a nice breakfast before he sent them on the march towards uh, towards uh, Richmond and then where prison would be at the old Capitol prison uh, in Washington. But here you have one of those coincidences that uh, when it happens in history, you have to believe it, but you wouldn't believe it otherwise. Uh, Abraham Lincoln happens to be at City Point at the, at the this moment when when Beringer is coming through and yeah. they they end up having a meeting. Yeah, so uh, Lincoln had come down to see Grant at City Point and had heard that a, a, a Confederate General Barringer had been captured, and he was thinking to himself and saying, could that be my old chum, uh, uh, Moreau Barringer, who I sat next to in Congress, and is my, my pal. So uh, they said, no, it's another General, another Barringer. So he, uh, Lincoln instructed him to bring him forth. And so they they met and uh, with the camp commander Charles H T Collis, who recorded the events and left them for posterity. Thank goodness, recorded mm-hmm. the conversation. And so they had a very amiable, congenial conversation, recalling Moreau and and various other things and how they were both really. Lincoln said they were both really prisoners of war now, and he showed his magnan- magnanimous uh, spirit and. Uh, Barringer uh, was overtaken with uh, Lincoln and, and said that the people of the South had been, uh, Lincoln had been misrepresented to the people of the South. And he was uh, extremely impressed with Lincoln and extremely grateful to Lincoln for the, the way he was treated. And Lincoln even gave him a card to, to give to, a note to give to Secretary of War Stanton when he arrived at Gold Capitol Prison. You know, to treat him right and let him see some friends and stuff. And that card recently was auctioned for over twelve thousand dollars. By the way, I, you know, I saw that note. Do you know where it is or who has yeah, it? Or just... Oh, I don't know who has it, but I know the auction house who sold it. It's in the footnotes, mm-hmm. but I don't know the person. I tried to find out and could not. Mm-hmm. That, I'm 
I once worked with Lincoln Collections extensively, and if I were still at that museum, I would have offered more than twelve thousand for that note. I think it's a really good Lincoln note, and if uh, I could afford it, I would have too. <laughs> I'd be using the house money, not my own money, to buy it. But <laughs> okay. uh, yes, that that that's an uh, interesting document. Well, the. Barringer ends up in in prison. Uh, he does get to meet Stanton, uh, who lets him choose which prison to be held in until the war ends. Right. And he spends several months there, even after the surrender. Eventually, he is released and uh, applies to the new president, Andrew Johnson, for a pardon. But putting together uh, his pre-war progressive spirit, his interest in uh, you know eliminating obstacles to voting for. Uh, white voters and his uh, eventual opposition to slavery, plus his very positive experience with Abraham Lincoln, put all these together, and maybe it's not astonishing that he becomes one of the few former Confederate officers who joins the Republican Party after the war. Right, and he almost immediately is for for black suffrage and uh, all other progressive measures, and of course that's He's condemned by the Democratic press, which is the majority in his area. Uh, but uh, he stood his ground. Uh, D.H. Hill has no more use for him now. D.H. Uh, Hill was, a, of course, a bombastic, unreconstructed rebel, and never that was the end of their uh, friendship. They became estranged and uh, hostile towards one another. Uh, but as you say, he uh, Beringer gives it right back. Uh, Jubal Early is is another diehard, uh, unreconstructed rebel who who writes bad things about anyone who who joins the Republicans. And right, uh, Beringer does not uh, doesn't back down. No, and DHL wouldn't even serve him communion at church. So Beringer uh, removed to and started the people started the Second Presbyterian Church of Charlotte and went over there. Yeah, it so, was rough. He ran for lieutenant it, it, governor in 1880 and, and lost. There, there's a story you tell about uh, Beringer talking to a farmer. Uh, they're discussing the drought, and Beringer says, well, why don't you just uh, uh, dig a ditch up to the stream up on the hillside there, and you can irrigate your crops, and you won't have to worry about drought. So the farmer does it. I'll, and the next year, the the crops are great, and the next year, the farmer doesn't re-irrigate because his neighbors say, well, you know, God wants it to be a drought. You know, we're not supposed to mess with that. Uh, and, and if Beringer said, do it, don't do it. it, it well, it, exactly. It struck me as, as the, uh, the, there are various North Carolinas, the, the one that's progressive and says, go ahead, dig a, a irrigation ditch and have uh, crops for everybody. And another one that says uh, we're going to do it the old way, no matter what, no matter how much we suffer. Uh, and uh, those two North Carolinas are still fighting today. It looks like uh, uh, that's the view from down here in Greenville. Well, this yeah. was a really interesting book. I, I appreciate you taking time to join us on the show tonight, listeners. You will enjoy learning about General Rufus Barringer uh, in the book "Fighting for General Lee." And Butch, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you very much, Jerry. I enjoyed it very much. Take care. And listen, you too. And listeners, you also take care. And thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. 
Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.